Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and welcome to the first show of a new year, 2021. And uh, what a week it's been and uh, in America. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to returning uh, with our podcast. Thank you. Um, for all your kind comments about it in 2020. Hope you had a good break and managed to get some relaxation in over the holidays. But uh, we've got a really super special guest for our first show of the year. It's Corey Dubrawa, who is VP Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google. Corey, we've been trying to get you on the show for a long, long time. And actually, it's great to have you on as the first show of 2021. So welcome. Steve, thank you for, uh, well, first of all, thank you for being so patient with me. <laughs> yeah, no worries being willing to uh, to have me on after this uh, lengthy uh, courtship or dance that we've been doing to get here. But I, I couldn't be any happier to be here and uh, happier that it's 2021. It's great yeah. that we have another digit at the end of our year. Yeah, I think no one was sad to see the back of last year, but uh, we've still got a few hurdles to overcome, I think. Yeah, for sure, which we'll yeah, talk about. We'll talk about some of those. So we're going to chat to Corey. I've got my usual compadre, Frank Washcook, who is uh, um, the uh, the linchpin of the PR Week editorial team, really. He, him and the, and the folks do most of the work. But uh, Frank, welcome. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. First one of the year. Yeah, another one starting. We're going to talk to Corey, but I wanted to start with Frank, uh, given the events of this week. Um, we'll, and then we'll talk about some stories, new stories, sad news over the holidays, the, the passing of Howard Rubinstein, a real legend of New York PR and a, a great man, actually. And so we'll talk about Howard. We have a great profile of uh, one of our power listers, Crystal Howard, who's uh, head of comms at Kroger, which is the biggest supermarket in the world, believe it or not. So uh, that's a great piece. We'll chat about that um we always have a social media chat and this one's kind of relevant because it's about walmart apologizing to josh hawley over a tweet and loads of people moves first first week of the year always lots of big moves new north america president at ketchum and lots of other stuff um so we'll talk about all those when we get to it but frank i wanted to start we're rec- we're going to be uh, we're recording this on the thursday after the events of january 6th in dc at the capitol the storming of the Capitol building by rioters. Um, it was a really um, emotional day, I thought. And, and, and I think you feel that much more than I do, frankly, as, a, as an American. I'm, I'm not, not American, as you can probably tell by the accent. But what was your take on it, first of all, just as, as, as observing those events and, and how they planned out, panned out during the day? I think that for all of us, and I am only speaking for myself here, to be clear, it's, it was a day full of a lot of different emotions and a lot of different feelings. And number one, at the top of the list, I think a lot of us are very angry at what transpired and that it wasn't prevented and that this happened in and of itself. Uh, I think a lot of us are embarrassed at, you know, this kind of face of America was was on the front pages all over the world, uh, because I believe a, a lot of us believe, and I think this, that we're much better as a country than what was shown yesterday. 
And I think it left a lot of us feeling, you know, anxious and vulnerable and a little worried about what could happen next and what could happen with these forces in our country if they're left unchecked. And I think that one way, I think it's going to take a lot of effort by business and different anybody who works in influence or media uh, to to think about how is it possible that this many people can become stirred up by these mass delusions, whether it's that there was widespread voter fraud, which even the Republican attorney general of the country has said just did not happen, or these theories like QAnon or similar things, that how these mass delusions are getting, reaching so many people and so many people are believing them. And what can we do about it to put this back in check? I, I don't know if you can put the genie back in the bottle, but if, if you can, we, we have to, because you see a lot of the folks who were in the Capitol yesterday who should not have been there, who had, and you might think I'm overreacting, but, but, but who had Nazi paraphernalia and Nazi tattoos and Confederate flags and things like that. And I think that history shows that if you allow people like this to go unchecked for a long period of time, they may actually end up running the show and there's terrible consequences. And so I think that business, this industry, a lot of other industries have work to do on how we can stop these mass delusions from spreading and stop all of this false information from spreading. Because I think that's a big part that is at the root of this. Yeah, well said, Frank. Um, that's a good summation of, of, of what happened. It, it certainly showed the power of words, the power of communications. It showed the power of social media. And it was really interesting when Twitter sort of stopped the feed, if you like, by uh, turning off President Trump's Twitter feed. And it did take the tone down a little. And um, other platforms have followed suit. And, um, uh, you know, there was... But that, that incitement, but which was uh, basically fermented over a number of years on social, but then was fermented in person at a rally yesterday, and it had really serious consequences. Loads of questions like, how did people get in so easily? You know, what was the behavior inside like? Like there was images of police taking selfies with protesters. I'm not saying that was a typical thing, but there was certainly some of that. What, what All those things, probably not for this podcast, others can consider that. And um, let's not forget, a young woman was, was shot dead in that uh, inside the Capitol, one of the rioters. Um, and it's a tragic circumstances. It seemed to be a, a mix of people who, as you mentioned, was almost like paramilitary style. And then people who seemed to be out almost like out on a day out. And it was a bit of a jolly, you know, outing. There were lots of selfies being done in offices and all this sort of stuff. But it was not a good look for brand America. And it's certainly, uh, you know, around the world, people are looking, thinking, what the hell is going on, you know, in the country that is a bastion of democracy and a bastion of, of what is good about, uh, you know, freedom and democracy. So, yeah, well, well, 
put there. And um, it seemed to calm down when uh, I think fair play to the senators and the House of Representatives. They got they were determined to get back and do their business, weren't they? And they finished that, you know, early this morning. And and that also seemed to, seemed to take a little bit of sting out of the situation. Um, I think so. I think you're right. Yes, I, I think it did. And um, what you're saying is correct. There is there is a lot to unpack here and there is a lot to figure out. Um, I think we all have to realize we are dealing with a it's it's easy for people, I think, on social media or elsewhere to look at this and, you know, joke about. Oh, here's a guy with Viking horns on or, or something like that. But we are, we're dealing with a very deadly serious situation because, and I, I don't mean to be fatalistic about this, but, you know, one thing that was going through my head yesterday, and I, I you know, most people that know me know I work with the news on behind me all day, is just how much worse it could have been. And I, I don't want to dwell on this, but it could have been much, much worse. And if it, if this is not fixed, we're going to be in a situation where there could be something that is much worse happening. Yeah. Corey, what was your reaction as an American and also as a, you know, someone in, in the heart of business and communications? Well, my, my initial reaction, uh, this is not the first or the last time I'm going to say this was actually very much in line with what Richard Edelman talked to you all about, which is the general sense that, you know, we have 140,000 Googlers around the world to uh, to think about, and you know, as Richard pointed out with you all, you know, I think that the general feeling that people had yesterday was one of just being tremendously unsettled and anxious, uh, nervous about what would happen and what impact uh, it might create for them. And of course, for Google, we have a sizable contingent, uh, a team in Washington D.C., both folks that are involved in policy and communications and marketing, but you know, also. Uh, are working with uh, the government as a customer. And so uh, our first thoughts, my first reaction, turned to how we would communicate with our uh, employee group uh, as quickly as possible. And so uh, Sundar uh, sent a note to all U.S. Googlers uh, fairly, you know, I guess as early in the cycle as was possible, uh, basically just to acknowledge that, you know, the, the scenes that, we all witnessed were shocking. Uh, they were scary, uh, as Frank said. Um, you know, I think there was uh, there were some logistical things that we wanted to make sure that we could do for our DC team uh, to ensure their safety, where they could could check in basically and let us know that they were okay. Um, and then I think you know we wanted to get the point across that holding free and safe elections and resolving our differences as a country peacefully our foundation to the functioning of our democracy. They've, they've always been for hundreds of years. And, you know, we have a long, proud history of doing this, even if the current uh, moment is not one, as you say, uh, Steve, that we can be very proud of. And so, you know, the lawlessness and the violence that uh, occurred on, on Capitol Hill yesterday is sort of the antithesis of democracy as we know it. Uh, and we wanted to use our platform to condemn that. And so, you know, in as strong terms as, as possible, and to reassure our employees uh, that we had their backs, that we were uh, we were here for them. We, you know, wanted to reiterate that there were resources for them in terms of self-care, uh, connection and support that, uh, that they could tap into right away. 
uh, and to give them essentially sort of a backstop for any concerns or, or things that they wanted uh, to talk about as a consequence of all that. So from a Google point of view, that's how I spent the better part of the afternoon uh, yesterday was sort of thinking about the duty of care that we have to Googlers and, and what we were doing uh, to engage and, and to listen with uh, to our people. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, as you pointed out, Steve, there's the uh, the business that we are in. And, you know, one of the things that we did uh, over the last month was, and Frank, I think this gets right to the, the point that you were making. I mean, we've removed thousands of videos uh, that spread misinformation or disinformation claiming widespread voter fraud uh, that somehow changed the result of the 2020 election, including uh, several videos that the president posted yesterday to his channel. We, we took those down. We removed them. And so uh, due to the events of yesterday, it was such an extraordinary day. Uh, we And given that uh, the election results have now been certified, which is, is a really important point, we felt that any channel that posted new videos uh, with these claims, you know, are fundamentally in violation of our policies, policies that we have stood by for months now that were a part of the way that we were preparing for the 2020 elections. And so we wanted to remind people that violation of those policies now receive a strike, which is a penalty that essentially temporarily restricts people from uploading or live streaming these videos. And so channels that receive three strikes in the same 90 day period are permanently removed from YouTube, and even a single strike uh, gets you a suspension in terms of what you can do with your account. And so, um, Steve, I hope this is a fairly comprehensive answer, but like from my point of view, that was both my reaction as what can we do to communicate with our people, and then from a policy perspective, is there something extraordinary about the events of the day? I would suggest that there is, uh, that would behoove us uh, to act uh, even more uh, in a more expeditious manner to make sure that uh, we were taking even more aggressive action, you know, to reduce uh, the amount of mis or disinformation that, that is out there in the world about the election result. Yeah, it's, it's it's the whole gamut of communications, isn't it? And I think you've probably over the past 12 months, internal comms and having the CEO talking more regularly to staffers, Sundar Pichai being your CEO, uh, who you mentioned it's probably taken on a greater context anyway, hasn't it, during COVID, the lockdown and what's been going on in the world. But it, it just underlines, again, how important that is, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, you know, there's um, – we can get into this in whatever depth you like, but, you know, it's obvious that um, – it's funny. I was listening to your conversation with Frank Shaw, the other Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, my, my colleague. He's at, Microsoft, he's at Microsoft, yeah. Yeah, he's at Microsoft, exactly. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still in touch. We both went to the same university, albeit at different times. Uh, he hired me. Don't know oh, if you Wag- know that. Uh, Wagner Edstrom. Yeah. Wagner Edstrom. So we, we worked together for a decade, and he was literally my last interview in a fairly lengthy panel. Uh, so we've known one another a long time. And I was listening to Frank talk about um, the idea of, you know, distance, how – one thing that we become really accustomed to in a workplace setting is this idea of a hallway conversation. You know, if you are stuck for an answer to your question or you would like some more context or you just feel like, hey, this would be better served as a discussion, you kind of walk down the hall and, and have a conversation with somebody or, you know, you, uh, you use your physical proximity to guide your decision making and your communication. And of course, we, we don't have that uh, in COVID. And so I think... You know, to your point, I think this has given 
uh, us as a communications team a different lens to sort of apply to the problems, the business problems we're trying to solve with communication. And I think it's also given our CEO, uh, Sundar Pichai, as you say, sort of a different way of thinking about all the ways that we might engage with our Googlers and, and external audiences too, for that matter, uh, compared to the way that we've done it before. And I have to wonder, Steve, if some of these things, like we were talking about, you know, off mic uh, or off air, are um, going to stick with us. You know, if these are things that uh, previously we would have envisioned weren't possible except for physical proximity, uh, TGIF, for example, which is, you know, sort of our regularly scheduled uh, employee all hands. And, you know, what we found is, is that not only can we make it quite workable in, you know, a physically distant setting, there are improvements that we can make to it um, that we probably couldn't have made in a physical environment or frankly are accelerated, you know, changes that might have taken two, three years to make, uh, you know, in real life, quote unquote, are, you know, more like two, three months uh, in a pandemic setting. And so, yeah, we have found um, that, you know, A, the primacy of uh, the leader from a communications point of view is uh, more present than ever. But it's it's been really gratifying. In fact, we just had uh, a meeting with the boss not that long ago to kind of go through, you know, what do we learn from 2020 and how does that apply to the year ahead? And we were quite gratified to see um, what some of that learning was and, just, frankly, just the volume of work that we were able to accomplish, even with uh, the hurdles or the, the barriers that the pandemic presents. Yeah, you're right. Lots of disruption, I think, will persist. And people kind of like that slightly more informal they tend, they feel more comfortable. They get a feel for the, you know, the CEO that maybe they didn't in a, in another environment. So I think you're right. Some of that will definitely persist. And uh, you mentioned the great school at Wagner Edstrom, and uh, we've had Tarod Neptune on the show as well, and another another great alum of that that school. So um, yeah, it was it's a great ground. Now you you sort of went from there to work on the client side at um, uh, Starbucks. You were, then went to Salesforce. But going to Google, Google is a unique brand, isn't it? I mean, when you think of, we were talking about this earlier, about journalists. We used, when, when I started, I would go down to the library in the newsroom and have to wade through back issues of newspapers to find, <laughs> to check facts and to, you know, source uh, background material for interviews. Google changed the world, and it is the source of facts, inverted commas. But, of course, there's a lot of discussion around that and with that power and the scale becomes whole discussions around we you know we hear a lot about fake news we hear a lot about what is the truth and and it's at the heart of communication isn't it so how do you approach that at google because you have so much power to the effect that it's you know it's become a like you want to know a fact you google it right and and that's brilliant for the brand but also comes with a great responsibility and you mentioned taking down certain content there's such a weight of content on Google, on YouTube, and your other properties. How are you? How are you handling that greater amount of responsibility for overseeing that content, and also the the regulatory environment that comes with it? You know, over the last twelve months, especially, you know, big tech has been under a great scrutiny from regulators, and I'm and and will continue to be, I guess. How are you approaching that as as a communicator and a brand and a and a public affairs lead? Yeah, goodness, we could probably spend the rest of the yeah. I know it's a big question talking about this, but I, but I what I will say, Steve, is that you know, look, we we are 
in many respects blessed with this 21 year history that comes from, you know, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin as, you know, uh, graduate students at Stanford and the, the company's mission, you know, to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Um, that continues to guide us 21 years later. I mean, that is an amazing all weather mission. And, you know, to your point, the degree to which the company, I mean, look, I've been at Google three years. So 18 of the company's years happened long before I ever showed up. And so, you know, not to trade in cliches, but I mean, we really do stand on the shoulders of giants uh, often and very fortunately. And so there were, you know, there were many, many um, advances and innovations that uh, were sort of, you know, moved uh, on the public stage long before I ever got there. And uh, so I think a lot of what guides the way that we think, Steve, about what we do as communicators is really governed by the degree to which we are successfully, you know, fulfilling this mission. And to your point, we, we definitely have more reach than we've ever had before. Uh, it's, it's pretty daunting to kind of contemplate. I mean, one of the things that, uh, we do every year is we have a, a campaign that we run at the end of the year called the year in search where we sort of look back uh, at the year that came before and we start thinking about, you know, what, what does it mean for us? And it's, it's pretty extraordinary when you really get a sense of what the impact is, what were people searching for uh, in any given year? You know, why were they searching for it? You know, what was the, um, what was the takeaway uh, from all of that? And so certainly, you know, there are, there are literally trillions of searches uh, on Google each year. And so we, you know, to, to our way of thinking about it, this really presents an incredible opportunity for us to serve trusted information to people all over the world. You know, the right information uh, can actually, you know, accomplish amazing things. I mean, in the year that we have ahead where we're still in the midst of uh, the grip of this global pandemic, the way we're thinking about it is the right information can actually save lives. Uh, you know, when I think about like vaccination and the degree to which the right information can help people to learn about vaccination, where to get vaccinated, you know, help to dissuade them from dis or misinformation campaigns that might uh, make them reluctant uh, to, you know, undergo the, uh, the vaccination process. And so, I think that we have an extraordinary uh, responsibility given the scale at which we operate. And, you know, that is, as, as you pointed out, you know, that has certainly meant the technology overall, um, there's much more scrutiny of the company and of the industry uh, than there was. And it's a, for good reason. I mean, it's a relatively young industry. So there hasn't been uh, the same kind of probably regulatory uh, scrutiny that there has been on other industries, at least over the arc of time. Um, and just the power, as you say, the responsibility that we have and that we wield uh, means that, you know, we, we have an obligation to sort of embrace this uh, new era of scrutiny and, and sort of regulatory inspection. Um, and, you know, how that worked for Google in 2020, uh, I know you know this, but, you know, Sundar gave congressional testimony twice last year. There are certainly many other conversations that uh, he and many other folks uh, at the company are engaged in on a regular basis with key opinion formers and regulators and, and elected officials uh, to help uh, these people to do their jobs, to help uh, understand the way that we think about 
how we are doing the work that applies to our mission uh, and some of the specific details behind all that. Yeah, um, it's, it's very true. Um, there are bad actors out there. There always will be. And there's great opportunity in your platforms, but also risks. And, and you, you do have a massive responsibility there. And I'm sure it occupies a lot of your time. We've seen Facebook essentially saying they're locking out uh, the president from their platform until the inauguration, at least. Is that something that YouTube is considering? Where, where, you, where do you stand on that? We've seen various platforms making statements today. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the, the policy, I mean, we literally announced uh, today, this is what I was referring to earlier, this idea that, you know, we've essentially, in, in December, uh, following the safe harbor guide or deadline uh, that we had, we updated uh, our YouTube policies and began removing content that alleged widespread fraud or errors that would, you know, change the outcome of the election. Uh, and so yesterday we, we removed a video uh, on uh, the president's channel that violated those policies regarding content. And what we've done is we've essentially lifted the safe harbor uh, grace period now. And so that same video, if it were uploaded again today, would not only be removed from the channel, but it would result in a, a seven-day suspension uh, of activity. And so I won't speak to uh, the president's uh account specifically other than to say that our policy was already in place and because the grace period is lifted things that violate our policy would result result in a you know immediate suspension uh of uh you know the ability that people have to, to post videos uh, right so you'll monitor it but you're not shutting that channel down as of as of now anyway no but i mean again that would be what what would ultimately result in that kind of action would be repeat strikes. And so uh, that's what I'm referring to is that the video that was uploaded yesterday, if that were uploaded today, it would result in a strike and a suspension. And uh, our policy is, is that basically, you know, channels that receive three strikes in the same 90 day period are permanently removed from YouTube. So it would just be applying what happens uh, on a channel or on our platform to the applying our existing policies to that. Got it. And just to end uh, on on this topic, you're right, we could talk all day because it's a fascinating subject and there are so many aspects to it. Um, every communicator, every brand, every corporation, when a new administration comes in, they uh, amend their strategy accordingly and they, you know, they, they treat each administration differently, as, as you would expect. You've got a democratic um, new president and vice president coming in. We now have a democratic Senate and House how do you approach that as a communicator and a public affairs specialist, you know, moving forward? Because they will have different um, views, maybe on big tech. We've seen people like Elizabeth Warren stating they want to break up big tech. How do you approach that from a strategic communications point of view? This is probably more in the policy lane, per se, than the communications lane, Um so I don't want to speak totally out of school, but I will say this. I mean, certainly a number of uh, the pre uh, president-elect Biden's um, cabinet or new administration uh, are people that are known uh, to the company and to our policy team and our communications team because of roles that they played previously, whether it was in the Obama administration or, you know, other places in the public sphere where they've operated. So the good news is, is that we're not starting from scratch. These are relationships that uh, have been built and maintained and enhanced over over many years uh, as people had different roles in different administrations. And so, you know, I, I think, Steve, it's fair to say, uh, certainly I would have said this in my former life, too, 
you know, at, at Starbucks and at Salesforce and certainly at Google, uh, you know, each of these companies have uh, made it a point of pride to work with any administration. And for that matter, I mean, I would go even beyond the administration and I would talk about the fact that, you know, they're all global brands, right? So from a policy point of view, you're really working with a number of different administrations and a number of different governments with different sort of uh, ideological or partisan concerns on a global basis. And so if you're going to be effective in moving through or navigating that kind of environment, you have to understand how to work with any administration. And as you point out, I mean, there'll be pivots or, or different points of emphasis that you might have with one administration versus another. Uh, and as you point out, I mean, I think that, you know, we have yet to see, uh, we'll find out after January 20th, you know, what the incoming administration uh, is, is thinking of as it relates to both our company and, and our industry. We certainly have uh, a pretty good set of indicators, as you say, from folks that we know are going to play a key role and, some of whom, you know, we've actually spoken with previously because that they were involved in whether it was congressional testimony or, you know, other conversations that we've had when we've been to Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, we, we have some sense of, of what their concerns might be. So I think that we, we treat it as though we will work with any administration um, and that, you know, we will meet them where they are in terms of what their concerns are uh, and where we think... Um, the technology that we're building for everyone uh, around the world applies to, uh, you know, the particular uh, country or jurisdiction where they are. So we're looking forward to it. I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, the peaceful transition of power is another hallmark of this democracy and, and has been forever. And so, you know, after January 20th, I think we're looking forward uh, to those kinds of conversations as, you know, the world turns its attention to, how to beat uh, COVID and yeah. how to recover economically from the impact of the virus, which has just been devastating in, in so many places around the world. And that's where I think Google can play a unique role and where I think our technology uh, and, and the people you, who use that technology uh, can benefit the most uh, from the way that we show up. I agree with you. That's a, that's the tragedy of what all this stuff is doing. You know, we've got a, a ma- major global crisis on our hands with thousands of people dying every day, and it's just taking all the attention away from that. And we, you know, we need to get back to that and get the vaccines out there and get get America healthy again, which is what I blogged about last Friday. But I, yeah, you know, uh, just on that point, Steve. You know, one thing that probably isn't as well known about Google is the fact that we actually have a growing, you know, health division. Uh, both within Google, uh, as well as there are parts of the greater alphabet universe. Uh, Verily yeah. would be one example of that. Calico would be another example of that that have very direct impact on health. And, you know, we, we've hired in the last year an extraordinary person, uh, our, our chief health officer. Her name is uh, Dr. Karen DeSalvo. De and I expect that she will be, you know, a voice of reassurance, certainly for, for Googlers, um, but externally as well, I think that, you know, her her background is that she's been around just about every major uh, pandemic or, you know, calam- <laughs> calamity, uh, global calamity for the last 20 some years. Ebola, I mean, you can kind of pick a spot, a hot spot in the world, and, and she's been engaged in that. And so I really do expect her and her team uh, to, you know, really be dug in on this uh, journey that we're all going to be on in terms of returning to 
uh, a world in which the virus is uh, no longer, you know, the health threat that it is today. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, certainly our search team, uh, back to the point of quality information, they're 100% focused on, you know, strengthening our ranking systems to promote relevant quality information uh, and to remove misinformation from our platforms so that, again, these life-saving tools that will be available to people can be easily accessed, understood, and acted upon. Yeah, we're definitely covering Google's health offering on our sister brand, Medical Marketing and Media, for sure, and in mm-hmm. uh, our joint uh, health influencer list that we do with them each uh, each um, November. So, yeah, um, it's, uh, honestly could continue this conversation forever, but we have a show to do. So thank you, Corey. I really appreciate uh, your, your perspectives on all those things and uh, lots of things to follow up on there. We'll look forward to getting your input on our newsy stories. But, Frank, um, some rather sad news over the holidays about uh, Howard Rubinstein, who was a PR Week Hall of Famer, a real legend in New York and in New York communications especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those sad stories that happens over the holiday period, it seems. Um, yeah. He passed away last Tuesday after a more than six-decade career, which is really incredible. Um, and uh, he, he was a part – he was the founder of this firm that was put together uh, in Brooklyn at a, at a kitchen table in the mid-1950s and sort of part of that generation of, uh, you know, the, the that post-war group of individuals who founded – agencies that really, you know, carved out what the, the industry was going to be with, you know, Dan, Dan Edelman and, and Harold Burson. And, and um, yeah, really, really sad news that, uh, you know, the, the 88 years and, and six decades in PR. And you look at the list of people that he repped over the years and, you know, everybody from, you know, um, Mr. Steinbrenner, the former uh, owner of the Yankees to, you know, even Donald Trump, even though I, I know you mentioned you interviewed him uh, yeah. a few years ago and he was, he was kind of distancing himself from that a little bit yeah. uh, when asked about it. Yeah. But, you know, Rupert Murdoch, Leonard Lauder, you know, Larry Silverstein, uh, Mike Tyson, even Mario Cuomo. It's just, it's such a New York who's who list. I mean, it, yeah, it, I loved working with, and I love, that was a great feature. It was one of my favorite things I've done at PR Week. Um, it was a sad year because it was bookended by the death of Harold in Harold Burson yeah. in January last year, and then Howard Rubinstein in December. And they are really the end of an era. Only really Peter Finn yeah. left, left from that uh, generation. He's he he turns a hundred this year. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, yeah, the connection with the Yankees is fascinating. And he uh, he was presented with a great a, a ring by. Uh, one of your favorites, A-Rod, um, <laughs> on the field um, yeah, for, sure. uh, for his 60th anniversary in PR. And um, when I interviewed him, he had this ring on and it was incredible. And he was immaculately turned out. He was a real old school yeah. gentleman. And, um, you know, he, 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 he courted opinion as well. Not everybody loved him. And he yeah. played, he worked for everyone. You know, he, he worked for Republicans, Democrats, both sides, all the different property companies in New York. He worked for... Trump's father, Fred Trump, and, you know, real, the stories around his life are incredible. So, uh, yeah, very sad. And our, our, our condolences go to the family and the Rubenstein uh, family there, and Stephen Rubenstein, his son, and Richard, his other son. Did you ever meet him, Corey? Did, did you ever meet Howard Rubenstein? You're more of a West Coast guy, aren't you? 
No, well, but I did, and I actually have you to thank for that. So, you know, it was his PR uh, Week Hall of Fame induction. That's uh, right, yeah. Uh, where Pam Edstrom was uh, posthumously inducted, yeah. uh, where I had the opportunity to meet him and uh, indirectly had the chance to meet Mr. Burson as well for the same reason, really through you. So this is, I think, one of the great um, purposes that uh, what you and your team, Steve, uh, do for our industry, which is that, you know, aside from report on it or give us the opportunity to opine about it, uh, you also serve as a sort of a constellation of, of connection. And uh, anyway, I'm quite grateful to you because I, you know, frankly, if it weren't for that event, if it weren't for you all, I wouldn't have met either of those gentlemen. And, uh, you know, as a communicator, um, you only have yourself to blame if you don't know the history and the legends uh, of our industry. And, and that's uh, a great gift to be able yeah. to give up, I think. No, I love those events. That's one of my favorites. Harold used to love those events. Everyone would flock around getting the selfies, and he was he, he and he's totally deserved it, of course, and it as did Howard. So, yeah. Uh, so rest in peace, Howard. Um, one of the up and coming stars, Frank, and um, who's on our power list last year, is Crystal Howard over at Kroger, and we uh, released a nice profile cover cover profile of Crystal um, this week. It's, it's a terrific feature. The images uh, are terrific, uh, really jump off the page. Uh, you should check it out. It is, and one thing that really um, impacted me when I read this, and this is something you hear anecdotally talking to folks around the industry about, uh, is that companies that had communications leaders in China, Singapore, placers in Asia, really had a head start on a lot of other different companies as they uh, prepared for COVID-19, as they implemented strategies, uh, you know, really already had that uh, on the ground experience before other people did it. And she was one of them. It's a lot more than that though. Uh, She talks about how safety was the biggest priority across Kroger's employee base, which is more than 500,000 people. I didn't realize it was that big. That's the biggest supermarket Uh, chain in the world. Uh, 35 states. Um, and a huge, huge complicated job. And we know when we talk to folks out there and they tell us about what a huge task internal communications has been for the past year, uh, you know, talking to all different types of people. And with her, that would have included, you know, grocery store employees, folks working part time, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So it's a really interesting feature about how she was able to you know really take on the pandemic uh both with that advanced knowledge that she had and other things she learned on the ground so it's you should check it out yeah she's uh she's she's a great uh pr professional and it's good to see a black pr pro like crystal you know leading comms that is such a big brand um cincinnati is obviously a big uh big hub there and uh, we had Damon Jones on the cover as well from Procter and Gamble and I know that um, I think he's been something of a, a mentor to Crystal but uh, it's a great piece so check it out definitely um, wouldn't be a show without talking about Twitter and Walmart had to apologize to Josh Hawley although this one may this story may have moved on a little bit Frank uh, given Hawley's antics yeah. over the last couple of days I wonder if they regret the apology at this point um <laughs> Right. So um, a Walmart, here's what appears to have happened. A Walmart social media staffer has erroneously, had erroneously posted from the Walmart account calling Josh Hawley, who of course was objecting to the um, election results, calling him a sore loser 
um, which immediately got a, a few replies from Holly and his allies on social media. But then Walmart later uh, said they were sorry about it and said they had no intention of commenting on the subject of certifying the Electoral College. Should point out this was days before uh, the events in Washington, D.C. yesterday. So sort of a sort of a prelude to that. Um, but yeah, so it, but it, it, this, this happens, doesn't it? It happens often enough that, uh, you know, a social media staffer doesn't realize what account they're in when they're yeah. being uh, snarky. Got to be so. careful. Yeah, Mr. Hawley's a pretty ambitious fellow, isn't he? Uh, there's a pretty egregious picture of him waving his fist at the protesters, well, the rioters yesterday as they headed to the Capitol and then later on trying to sort of, you know, take the high ground over it. It's, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty disgusting to watch, to be honest. But, um, Corey, on social media, you know, you're no, no stranger to the perils of Twitter with, you know, some pretty horrible things happening Well, while you were at Starbucks and everybody knows that, you know, social is incredibly powerful, but it also can be incredibly dangerous too. So how do you advise your sort of staffers on the comms team and, and the brand generally, you know, in terms of engaging on social? Yeah. I, well, I mean, look from, are you talking about from a, a Google, like the Google handle or. Google well, I think, yeah, from, yeah, but also on a personal level, you know, you could, I think from a, Everyone who works in the media and in communications has to be very careful about how they, you know, how they appear on social media. Oh, for sure. And, you know, as you point out in my former life, I mean, you know, once once you've uh, experienced death threats, yeah. uh, you know, on social media, you definitely have a different perspective on, uh, you know, both the, the up and the downshot of these, uh, these platforms. But uh, from from my point of view, I mean, I, I guess from a Google perspective, we we have a whole set of sort of brand characteristics that we think of when we uh, think about the voice uh, of what the the Google handle should be. And I won't get into all the details, but it's a, it's a fairly prescriptive model. And I'm really fortunate because I have an amazing team of folks that are focused on um, content platforms, both things that, you know, we uh, are on someone else's platform, like, uh, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever it may be, as well as our own uh, platform, the keyword. And so, uh, you know, when I think about uh, content, I'm really thinking about how we represent uh, storytelling about our products and about our users with some really specific brand attributes that are attached to that so that it feels approachable. It feels like Google. It feels like something that, you know, frankly, we have eight products with more than a billion users, which carries with it huge responsibility. And it also makes you appreciate how broadly products like search and maps and Google cloud are used. And so uh, those brand attributes really guide the way that our own social media managers on my team are thinking about, you know, how we use each of those platforms uh, in a way that's consistent with our brand. And when it comes to, you know, your own personal uh, use of those platforms, uh, I think that particularly going into uh, the election year that we just came out of in 2020 or we're coming out of now, I think we definitely had more guidance and more sort of prescriptive guardrails for uh, our Googlers and particularly for our executives around just how to think about how they show up on those platforms and the fact that often there really is no divisible line and probably hasn't been for some time between the person that you are when you're not at work, quote unquote, uh, and the person that you are when you represent a company, and that it's not enough for your 
uh, bio to say that, you know, these opinions are, are representative of your own personal opinions alone. Uh, we've certainly seen that, uh, you know, that the media don't necessarily think of it that way when they cover uh, a company or when they cover comments that are made. And so I think uh, there, there definitely needs to be a fair degree of, of care, concern, and, and caution, frankly, applied to, uh, you know, the way those worlds sort of blend together for people. Yeah, for sure. It's like putting the word allegedly before an accusation. It really does not cover you legally, folks. <laughs> um, but yeah, good good advice there, Corey. Um, a few people moves to finish off, Frank, including one another of Corey's old agencies, Ketchum, a new North America president. Yes, that is that is correct. Uh, Ketchum has brought on Neera Chowdhury, uh, formerly of Golan, as its new North America president. Uh, she's starting at the beginning of next month. She is succeeding uh, Mike Doyle in the role, who, of course, was up to global president and CEO when Barry Rafferty moved over to Wells Fargo last summer. Uh, IBM's former CMO, Michelle Peluso, is signing on at CVS Health as its chief customer officer. Really interesting role. Uh, when you think about the role that, uh, you know, private pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens are going to play in distributing the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. It's a really, really interesting role. Um, she, of course, was the former CMO of IBM. She's reporting up to Carol Lynch, who's the incoming president and CEO uh, of CVS. Um just a few others. Uh, healthcare consultancy, Rabin Martin, has named Robert Mallet uh, as its next CEO. Its current CEO, Jeffrey Sturchio, is going to become the consultancy's uh, chairman. And Rabin Martin, if you're not familiar with them, they're a healthcare consultancy uh, that has a close partnership with Porter Novelli. Peter Pedrumu, uh has been promoted to the CEO role at Boston Digital, and he is the former president and CEO at Race Point Global. Yeah, loads of moves in the new year. That's always the case. So, uh, yeah, a few interesting ones in and amongst there. But uh, thank you, Frank, for joining us. It's been a terrific show. Ran a bit long, but I think it was worth it today. Corey, thanks so much for joining us. It was great to have you on for the first show of the year. and uh, Lots of uh, issues that we can continue talking about and thinking about for 2021. Steve and, and Frank, uh, again, thanks uh, to both of you for having me on. It was uh, a terrific opportunity, and uh, I'm really looking forward to keeping in touch with you all, and I wish you both the best uh, for the year ahead. Uh, I mean, you know, I think we could all use a little of that uh, luck or well-wishing going into the next 51 weeks, for sure. Absolutely, and one thing I wanted to mention was Corey's, uh, in, in lockdown, has been able to get back to his roots and doing a bit of DJing. So <laughs> where can we check you out, Corey, on uh, your regular shows? Because I think you're going to do one now. Well, I was going to say, as it happens, uh, my, my regularly scheduled air slot is this evening. So the, the station is kxsf.fm. Uh, uh, it's 102.5 FM on the dial here in San Francisco. It's San Francisco's community radio station. Uh, the history of it is that it used to be KUSF, so it was the University of San Francisco's station, and the uh, the rights to that station became public when the university decided they no longer wanted a campus radio station. So it's been KXSF.FM for some time, and uh, my show is on every Thursday from 6 to 9 p.m. It's called BYOB, which is Bring Your Own Beats. Uh, it's genre-free, kind of proudly so, uh, and the station 
right now has something along the lines of about 85 different DJs that play in, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, more than 12 different languages, you know, on a 24-7, uh, 365 basis. So uh, it, it's been fun to sort of rediscover that. I hadn't DJed since the 90s. The technology is definitely advanced since that period, but uh, it was great to have the opportunity to dive back into music and the arts and supporting the local Bay Area community uh, in such a tangible way last year. So yeah, one of the gifts of not traveling is that you're actually available to do a regular air shift. So it's been, yeah. it's been fun to do. Check it out. That's 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time, I assume. So That's right. 6 yeah. to 9 p.m. Yep. And um, yeah, well, with John Harris over at ConAgra doing his Friday basement sessions, there's loads of communicators out there doing, getting involved in music to entertain you as well as do brilliant work in the PR profession. So check it out. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Um, just to finish, we've got a new reporter started on Monday, Sabrina Sanchez. You may remember Sabrina. She was with us as an intern a couple of times. She's fantastic, and we are so happy to have her on full-time. She's going to work across PR Week and Campaign, our sister title. She'll be covering youth marketing, so she's going to be all about uh, how brands interact with young people and uh, what young people think of brands. So, uh, yeah, reach out to Sabrina to find out more. We have our Dashboard 25, which is uh, the list to identify the biggest movers and shakers in the communications technology space. You've got a couple of days left to get your entries in for that, so do make sure you are submitting. We also have our Hall of Fame deadline coming up in mid-January, as well as our Global Awards, and we'll be sending out our agency business report uh, form for data next week and uh, we'll be launching our brand film awards for 2021 so it's all happening but uh, that's all we've got time for we'll see you next time on the PR week thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR week to find more episodes visit prweek.com